I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds. And they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at Burrow.com slash ACAST. That's Burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Come on, show me the magic. Can I take you out to the picture? Well, I hope you'll come and see me in the movies. What a scene of your Hollywood song. Hello, and welcome to the Beatles Films Podcast. I'm Matt Looker. I'm Ed Williamson. We're both professional film writers and Fab Four fans, and each week we discuss a different movie about starring or inspired by the Beatles. And like podcasting Santas, we're giving you the present of a special bonus episode on Christmas Day covering a vaguely festive-themed topic in the music video of Paul McCartney's 1983 song Pipes of Peace. The track itself is written about the 1914 Christmas truce between British and German troops in World War I. And we're going to talk specifically about the video, which recreates this moment in history, with Paul stretching his acting chops by taking on two roles a British soldier and a German soldier who can easily be told apart because the latter has a thick, bushy moustache. When I think about this music video, and I don't know if it's the same as you, but um, I think of it as being a sort of set apart from much of the other music videos, I mean, from Paul McCartney, but also of the time, of the period. Uh, there's there's a clear sort of production value that's gone into recreating this historic moment. And it just, it it does have this air of it being like a mini film which I guess, you know, makes it uh, worthy of our podcast, worth us talking about. But do you agree? Yeah, he seems to be putting putting in some effort, doesn't he? Because <laughs> <laughs> you, you think back and uh, like, I can't really think of other McCartney music videos before, perhaps not even really since, that have had uh, sort of uh, quite big production uh, involved in them. You know, there was, a, there was a Wings video in the 70s sometime where they were just sort of like playing snooker, you know. That, that is that right? Thing, you know? <laughs> and yeah, yeah, yeah. I forget which song it is, but they're in a they're in a pub and they're playing snooker. Or it might be Pool. Maybe it's for Venus and Mars they're doing their, uh, the yellow and red ball thing. Yeah. Anyway, there is an obvious desire to do something a bit special here, I suppose. But I think maybe that comes from the fact that he has, at this point, so this is shot in early December 1983, and he has spent the first half of 1983 uh, acting. He's spent it on the set of Give My Regards to Broad Street, so he's been shooting that. And Broad Street won't be released until October 1984, so uh, he's not yet been stung by the sort of public criticism of it. So he's sort of, at the moment, it's, it's fair to suggest he's probably got the acting bug and likes the idea of sort of being on film sets and doing things properly you know maybe that's where it comes from yeah that's fair i, I think the other thing is, as well part of this this, the, this video has like a hundred extras in there's clear money that's been yeah. spent on props on costumes on makeup it isn't i mean i was thinking back you know his other sort of memorable music video uh solo music video short you know what a few years before this would have been the coming up video which uses a bit of sort of you know camera 
trickery and gimmickry and is, is quite fun to watch. But this is telling yeah. an actual story with a little bit of extra production value and some sort of clever editing as well. So it is it is a proper production. Yeah. It, uh, so, the, so this um, what it's doing is it's recreating uh, the famous 1914 Christmas Day truce, uh, which is on the, uh, the Western Front in World War I. So it just happened from Christmas Eve to Boxing Day of that year. Uh, so this was uh, between English and German soldiers. So truces were, uh, were actually not that uncommon uh, in World War I because of the proximity of the trenches. It, they were close enough, uh, opposing trenches were kind of close enough that they could call out to each other and be heard quite easily. And a lot of the Germans uh, had kind of spent time in Britain and, and um, spoke fairly good English so they could be understood as well. Uh, but, and, and there was a behavior known as uh, live and let live in World War One, where uh, which is what you used to say, um, whereby uh, whereby unofficial truces would sort of break out through cooperation. So that and there'd just be sort of uh, sort of tacit agreements, just sort of not to attack each other at meal times or when they were doing laundry or things like that. So I mean that that in itself is a, it, there's a sort of shared humanity to that. And the Christmas Day truce is the sort of most romantic of them, I suppose. So, uh, so it, it apparently begun by the the Germans uh, sort of singing "Silent Night," I think it was, mm. and then the British troops joined in, and then they sort of walked out into no man's land and uh, shared sort of alcohol and tobacco and food, and apparently had a game of football as well. Uh, this is mentioned as well in in uh, Blackadder Goes Forth. Uh, you might remember. Uh, in the final episode, I think it is where they're talking about uh, you know the, the Christmas Day uh, truce that they had. So, but as a kid, this was probably my introduction to that. Mm. And then shortly after, we all met up, didn't we? Just before Christmas, nineteen fourteen. Yes, I tried. I just arrived, and we had that wonderful Christmas truce. Do you remember, sir? We could hear Silent Night drifting across the still, clear air of no man's land. And then they came, the Germans, emerging out of the freezing night mist, calling to us. And we clambered up over the top and went to meet them. Both sides advanced more during one Christmas piss-up than they managed in the next two and a half years of war. Do you remember the football match? Remember it? How could I forget it? I was never offside. I could not believe that decision. Uh, uh, yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? Because I think the, the Christmas truce is something that I, I, I am aware of, I think... Through occasional mentions in sort of pop culture, I, th I think this video is probably my first introduction to that that moment uh, in history. But it's probably worth uh, remembering that I think in two thousand and fourteen, the Sainsbury's Christmas ad basically told the exact same story as this pipes of piece video, yeah. um, almost recreated it yeah. very faithfully. And it's a heartwarming thing. I think when we talk about the Christmas truce, it is a there is this idea, like you say, of shared humanity, and it is a is it's a moment of you know choosing peace over war and it's always told in a very sort of heartwarming way which works really well for that christmas advert and it works really well for this video only if you choose to ignore that presumably the next day they all went back to killing each other yeah yeah exactly uh but I, but i suppose it's also it, it's an illustration of the idea which is actually illustrated very well in Blackadder Goes Forth, of the idea that it was it, it was the, the countries themselves and the officer class as well, who were sort of mainly uh, upper crust sort of privately educated men, uh, who were the ones who were really trying to win wars and trying to orchestrate killing, whereas uh, the sort of, you know, honest Tommies and, uh, and the Bosch, as the Germans were known, <laughs> it, it was sort of like uh, working class lads who had been thrown into this and it didn't really have any problem with each other. Yeah. And like when it came down to it, they were quite happy just to kind of shake hands and have a chat. But then they had to go back to yeah. shooting each other because that's what their countries were making them do. Yeah, no, of course. And of course, I am being facetious, as is my want. Um, <laughs> shall we uh, talk through... Uh, what actually happens in the video? Let's go through it uh, scene by scene. Sure, sure. Um, so, uh, as we said, Paul is playing a British soldier who is having a snooze in his trench on what looks, looks like a, a cold day on the Western Front. There, He's also playing a German soldier, and uh, both of them at the same time in, in opposite trenches are looking at their own letters and pictures from uh, wives and children. Uh, and thinking of home, the truce uh, then just sort of seems to start. 
They walk out into no man's land. There's a bit of football being played. Uh, the two Pauls shake hands and they exchange their letters and photos so each one can like have, have a look at the others, <laughs> as it were. <laughs> and um, the, the, um, uh, and then uh, some bombs go off and they have to run back to their trenches, whereupon they realise that they each uh, have still got the other man's uh, letter and picture from home. Uh, or at least we see the, the British soldier uh, realising that. We don't see the German soldier. Uh, so I suppose then they both look at the uh, letters and photos they've got and probably realise we're not so different after all. Yeah, which is, which is a lovely sentiment, isn't it? Uh, here's my take. So, <laughs> so yes, both Pauls get uh, letters from their loved ones. Then, like you say... The, the the truce seems to happen out of nowhere. There doesn't seem to be a catalyst for that. There's no singing of Silent Nights. I mean, partly because presumably that would clash with the, the song Pipes of Peace if they just started doing it halfway through. But they they all of the troops just suddenly come out of the trenches and meet each other. The British pool and German pool actually shake hands across the, the divide. Uh, and then, yes, they they exchange photos. So German pool indicates to, to, to British pool uh, that he's just received his letter and hands over his photo to him and they swap and they both like sort of give this impression like they're passing judgment on each other's like loved ones you know like <laughs> it's very much like a hmm, yeah not too bad yeah yeah all right yeah she's well, well done you mate yeah yeah okay yeah you know like it's very much sort of that like you know yeah okay like i'm i can see i can see why you might have gone for her or something it was a really weird yeah but you know she's She's a, she's a bit German, but very nice, yeah. you know. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah, I suppose, you know, take the rough with the smooth. Uh, yeah, and then a bomb goes off and they run back to their respective trenches and then British Paul looks at the photo in his hand and realises that he still has German Paul's wife, uh, a photo of her instead, seems very happy with that fact and goes back to sleep. So uh, he seems very happy with the fact, and, and you're right, one, one reading of that is that uh, he is realising that uh, actually we're all the same and there is a uh you know that that shared humanity between both sides of the uh, of the trenches or he's just really happy to have a picture of someone else's wife to look at for a change <laughs> and he feels like he's yeah. got the better end of the deal yes and and, and in a way isn't that the true spirit of christmas <laughs> <laughs> There's a, uh, some significant makeup choices made here. So German mm. Paul is wearing a bit of a blonde wig and has yeah. a blonde facial hair. That sets him apart. Obviously, German has to be blonde, clearly. Sure. Um, British Paul has stubble. I don't think I've, and, and really like quite defined stubble. I don't think I remember seeing Paul mm. with stubble before. It's, all, it's always very clean shaven, pretty boy Paul or you know, full-bearded full let-it-be Paul. Uh, that's true. Well, he rocks a bit of stubble these days, actually. He does, you're right. Dotage, right. you know. But uh, but I suppose it's almost, it's almost... I'm not sure if I would describe it as a beard or stubble. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Maybe there are male grooming experts who can get in touch and, and tell us. Uh, <laughs> I but um, I don't think at any point you should be reaching out to speak to male grooming experts. <laughs> No, it's asking for trouble. <laughs> it really it? is. Uh, and uh, I'm not sure either of us are great candidates for that anyway, to be honest. So, <laughs> uh, One of the things that I w was really happy to see in the uh, one the, the Wikipedia write-up for this video, it makes specific mention that for added realism, McCartney had his hair cut short, especially for the shoot. So mm. that was good. Going the extra mile there to have his hair cut short for added realism because... Yeah, hair was shorter those days. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, and he sort of ends up with that sort of page boy cuts that he then sort of seems to have throughout sort of early nineteen eighty four. Yeah, uh, he, but he just stuck with it, right? Yeah, for for a little while, I think. So from so I suppose like by certainly by sort of flowers in the dirt time, he's got a mullet, uh, which he sort of uh, rocks to one degree or another throughout the nineties. But yeah, that page boy cut probably lasts a couple of years, I would say. Uh, yeah, so you know, this actually it's funny that because there is a parallel between we talked in a previous episode about how I won the war when John Lennon sort of famously had his hair cut. Yeah, that's for true. That. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's funny in a way that they both uh, it was quite iconic, like John getting his hair cut for, it, of course. But um, but yeah, they sort of both had their hair cut 
uh, to play uh, soldiers in in war films. Yeah, it's true. And I, also, while we're on, on the subjects of John, um, is there something in the idea of Paul here in 1983, you know, singling out uh, an attempt at a peace anthem, which historically has always been John's territory? Yeah, I think quite possibly. Yeah, so Paul actually. Uh, said so later on in uh, uh, Club Sandwich, which was the sort of McCartney fan club official magazine. I think of I think Mark Wilson used to edit actually. Um, club Sandwich yeah. <laughs> and uh, Club Sandwich, yeah, 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 that's what it was called. Maybe it's still going. I'm not sure. Um, but um, yeah, so he he talked about the writing of this song and said that so there's uh, a jazz musician called George Melly, who was a friend of his. Uh, came to him sort of proposing a charity release, a sort of a, an anti-war song. He says, a, a peaceful song for children, a hopeful song for the future, is how he describes it. Uh, and he said, uh, if you can do an anti-war song that doesn't feel too cloying, then it's really good if you're an anti-war person, as I am. You feel like you've done something worthwhile. Uh, and he, he's also sort of making reference in it to uh, when he uses the phrase burn, baby, burn in the song, songs of joy instead of burn, baby, burn. He's writing about the riots in Watts, Los Angeles, which was in August 1965. And this was a short period of civil unrest. Uh, I think it was about a week. Uh, sort of as a result of a sort of segregationist housing policy that they had in Los Angeles at the time and a sort of act of police brutality on an African-American man. And the phrase burn, baby, burn, became the sort of rallying cry of those riots. So in a, in a way, it's it's a strange thing for Paul to, because he, he does make specific uh, mention of it. It's not a coincidence. You yeah. know, he ha- and he also he hasn't just taken it from, you know, the song Disco Inferno or whatever. You know, he, he's, um, he, he, he is making specific reference to this. So he is, in a funny way, he is sort of allying himself with the police yeah. <laughs> in a way, um, rather than you know. So you know, yeah, yeah, I see uh, you mean. rioting. I'm not. Uh, I'm not talking about this in the context of making any judgment on whether rioting is wrong or right. But it, but it was a, a, an act of sort of ins- insurrection yeah. uh, and and sort of protest against uh, segregation in in particular, uh, which Paul and the Beatles have been sort of vo- vocal in the past about uh, being opposed to. So I know he isn't specifically allying himself with, <laughs> with this, but because obviously all he's really doing is just taking a phrase yeah. that kind of uh, seems to be a, 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 an exhortation to, to violence and saying, no, no, we should be singing songs of joy instead. That's really all he's doing. That's so useful to know. Because I think without that context, the thought that I, I guess, have been harboring about this particular lyric all my life is that he specifically calls out Disco Inferno for having lyrics that seems to incite violence. You know, as in like we should be singing songs of joy and not burn, baby, burn, even though that is clearly a fun disco song. Like we probably shouldn't be joking about you know, burning people, you know, like that's that kind of yeah. feels like he's taken that, that, that lyric a step too far without this, this context, which I was not aware of. Yes, it, exactly. Because like, until I, uh, until I looked into it for this podcast, I knew no, nothing about the, uh, his, you know, uh, his writing this in the context of the Watts riots. I'd always thought the same thing to the extent he was <laughs> saying anything specific. It, it was that, Oh, you know, burn baby burn, you know, and disco disco is a bad influence on children. And like, we should be singing peaceful songs instead, you know, like, which is, which is obviously not what he's doing, but in terms of a, a song lyric, uh, in terms of the kind of like simple yin and yang of the whole thing, that, you know, that did kind of seem to me what, what, what he was doing yeah. with that. But, you know, it's, it's good to know it's a bit more nuanced than him just like hating disco. Yeah, exactly. You know? Yeah. You can really imagine uh, Paul with his page boy haircut, just telling everyone that disco is a bad influence on kids, you know? <laughs> yeah. Disco sucks. <laughs> It's very interesting that Paul is taking on two specific roles here in in this video. I I will say that I think his German soldier still has sort of like a a bit of um, uh, an air of sort of working class cockney about him sometimes. There's a bit where he accepts the letter of his uh, commanding officer and he gives a bit of a a wink and a nudge. And like in my mind, that's... (laughs) Uh, that's a, like you would do if you're like, all right, cheers, mate. Yeah, thanks, mate. You know, and it's like I don't know if that's something that translates across all countries, but it just very specifically seemed like um, a, a construction worker 
the way that he'd take his tea or something or somebody, you know. Yeah, he seems to. Because there's a lot of, you know, face acting, if you like, that's going on. Because, by the way, I mean, obviously this being a music video, the song is running along the top and and there is a, a bit of... Uh, the song is kind of being sung. They are lip syncing the song at times, but not throughout the entire thing. So when they're exchanging letters in no man's land, everything that Paul is doing to get across the idea that they are looking at the letters and saying, oh, yeah, yeah, I like the look of your wife too, as you, as you mm-hmm. said earlier, is like he's doing all of that just with facial reactions. And of course, he's sort of, he's mugging a bit, you know, and ham- hamming it up a bit, but, you know, in a way that you kind of have to, you know, sort of reminds me of, well, in in Broad Street, where he sort of finally gets the idea of like, oh, I <laughs> yeah. think I know where the uh, where the thing is, and he just sort of click his fingers and go, ah, oh, yes. yeah, of course, you know, without saying it, and it's all like very, very uh, demonstrative because that's how when when one is not a terribly subtle actor, that is how one. Acts, well, you don't have you know? any dialogue to work with, right? Like it all has to be tried done yeah. with like facial expressions, yeah, for sure. Yeah, exactly. But the, so, but the fact that he is playing both characters so that is that's a very specific choice so you know uh, other than the fact that as i say the song is sort of being lip synced to a little bit there is no great reason why the the two characters have to be played by the same actor obviously what is being done there is a choice to sort of emphasize that we're all the same so you know that 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 they're not they're not so different after all uh, and obviously the fact that played by the same actor. It's a sort of visual way of, of saying there's a consistency across these two characters and therefore across the two sides uh, uh, fighting each other in this war. But but you didn't, you didn't necessarily have to do that. You could have had uh, separate actors playing them. And it, it, particularly given that this video appears to have been turned around in incredibly quick time. So it was shot on, seems to have been shot on the 7th, and 8th of December, 1983. And then it aired on a show called Hearty on the BBC on the 14th of December, 1983. So there was a a little sort of insert where Russell Hearty, who's the presenter, sort of visits Paul and George Martin in the studio and they talk about it and then they show the video afterwards. So that is six, six days after it finishes shooting, which is an incredibly quick turnaround, it seems to me. And given the time constraints... The choice to have him playing both characters must have created that makes it that makes a thing harder to edit immediately, you know. So he he must have been very keen on the idea, and I suppose it's because he, he's been enjoying acting. And give my regards to Broad Street for the first half of the year. You know, he's uh, he's sort of got, uh, got the bug a bit. You know? Yeah, and and I guess the, the bug for the whole shebang, right? So it's not just the the acting yeah. part, but actually being part of a film production, which I think is. Going back to what we were saying earlier, possibly why this does take seem to take a bit of a step up from you know average music video output. I think the, the interestingly what you're saying there is about the idea that Paul playing both characters lends itself to the the theme, which is that you know we are all the same uh, across both sides of the war. But actually, also it's interesting that there's a version of this story that is told from the British soldier's point of view, where he gets his letter. There is a truce called. They go to the middle of in no man's land, and then he meets his German counterpart and sees that there is someone like him, and, and they are the same. I think that that almost makes sense and would be a reasonable creative choice. But actually, I think it's interesting that right from the outset in this video, the story begins with both of them telling their stories. So there is no British point of view. It, that that sort of shared commonality is part of the way the story is told right from the start. And talking about the quick timeline for this, it, so it, it, like I said, it, it occurred to me this has been turned around incredibly quickly. So I did go and check it because, and it's, you know, I sort of found a couple of different sources that said it was shot on the 7th to the 8th of December, one of whom was, was someone who worked on the set of the film, who on the 8th, on the second day, which is, of course, the third anniversary of John Lennon's murder, noticed that Paul was a bit down and asked him, and, you know, and he said, oh, yes, it's, it's, you know, the third anniversary of my friend uh, being killed, and, you know, and it does kind of always strike me on this day. So that's 
uh, that's quite a specific memory for someone to have. So, you know, I'm, uh, so I am pretty confident that it's uh, that it's 7th and 8th of December and therefore turned around in six days. I mean, that is, it's absolutely crazy, isn't it? It's, I mean, I'd love to know how long it took Peter Jackson to record Now and Then music video. Uh, if it was any longer <laughs> than that time frame, then he's, he's just lazy, isn't he, really? Let's be honest. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, no, he should have knocked that out, you know, on his uh, on his laptop uh, just over, over lunch one day, maybe <laughs> just on Windows Movie <laughs> yeah. Maker or something. And, uh, you mentioned before about the, the hearty documentary that's actually available to watch on youtube now which is actually really interesting watch because it's i mean it's a little bit contrived isn't it at the start it's the idea of uh, russell harty just happened to uh intrude on the mixing session for this song and uh getting to ask paul and george martin about their toy uh, as he constantly refers to the mixing desk and they give him a bit of a uh, sort of a brief run through of, of how some of those controls work but it's really interesting. I think, he, you know, he does talk about Paul's interest in acting. He asks Paul, is that something that he wants to pursue? Now, you play both an Eng- the English soldier and a German soldier. Yeah. Is there more than an actor, Monke, inside you? Oh, what? And, I mean, do you wish to act more? Uh, yeah, I, I quite like it, yeah. I do like it. I've always been a bit of a ham. Since I was a kid, you know, I've always done impressions of people and all that kind of stuff quietly on my own yeah. and a bit shy to sort of come out and do it uh, in front of people really i wouldn't do it at a party were you in school plays and things like that once i was in saint joan which part did you play a monk <laughs> <laughs> the one with the long hair <laughs> but you know one of the other things i really liked about the documentary was we got this a little bit when we looked at the McCartney 321 video, but I'm always interested in how songs are built up across their various tracks. And I actually really appreciated that uh, in this documentary, you see at one point they take the track just down to and isolate um, the, what they call slaps, which is like, I think Paul just banging some stuff around him. They then overlay the other tracks on top of it and you start to, it actually demonstrates how that song is built up just from one track into all of it. And I don't, I, I'm always quite interested in that anyway, but I think that was a really neat way of showing how all these things work together, especially now where we are getting new mixes and new masters of some of the early Beatles songs. And we're starting to hear, you know, things in those songs that we, we hadn't picked out before to have in, in this documentary, them isolate like the tabla, for example, I had no idea that was in the parts of peace song it's, it's it's just a really great way to explore you know the recording of that yeah it's it's it's, it's quite satisfying uh, in a funny way i mean so you know this is this is a short insert to go in a sort of magazine show if you like so uh, hearty uh, it was a little bit before my time but uh, but he so he was a guy who was sort of uh, a, a, an interviewer he also interviewed paul in 1984 i think for uh, the release of give my regards to broad street so he, he was sort of um fairly prominent figure on the BBC, sort of light entertainment at the time. But this is a sort of magazine show, maybe a bit like the, we have the one show these days. Yeah. Um, and so this is a, a sort of obviously staged thing in which he goes into the studio, it's Air Studios, and sort of brings in tea on a tray, teacups, which I'm pretty sure are empty going. But you know when, <laughs> you know when someone's yeah. carrying cups, uh, especially on a tray, and he is not walking with the care of someone who is carrying containers of boiling hot liquid because you know? <laughs> yeah because inevitably in real life one of those cups at least has been overfilled beyond like where the wash line is supposed to be so like you have to walk carefully otherwise that's going to yep. spill everywhere on the tray all the other cups are going to have tea on the bottom of, of their uh their base so wherever you put that cup down yep. that's there's going to be leakage there's going to be spillage there's going to be stains yeah you're right i mean it's, it, exactly. you understand why they've made that choice yeah i mean it's, it's a minefield isn't it <laughs> um well, I mean, with, uh, without wishing to call back to, <laughs> to no man's land, but yeah, it's, but um, but yeah, it's it, but it, but it is interesting that so so there's artifice involved here. So basically, like Harty is is here saying, oh, what, so what are you doing? Oh, we're mixing the song Pipes of Peace, which by the way was already released on the Pipes of Peace album <laughs> a month or two ago. So it, so it's out there already. But Paul sort of calls attention to the artifice of the whole thing, you know, by saying, oh, this is a pleasant surprise. Look who it is in an obviously yeah. staged way, you know. So Yeah, it's funny. Um, so he's, he, he's, quite ca- he's quite happy just to kind of play along with the pretense of the whole thing. But yeah, there, there is... Um, it's Paul and George Martin just sort of talk, talking them through in a, a very light way. 
all the various different parts of this song and how the sort of mixing process works, which it, 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 given that the song has already been mixed and, and we know this, like it, it, they're obviously not showing you exactly what happens, but it is interesting that they are. And, and by the way, also, this seems to be part of this very, very quick turnaround because Paul already has his page boy haircut, which he did for the video shoot. So presumably this has been shot in the six days between and, and it itself edited in the six days between the video shoot and the release of the video. Yeah, that's true. Um, interesting as well, thinking about this is that around the same time, a, a sort of a similar kind of documentary style piece of footage that we covered in another episode was Paul being interviewed by Melvin Bragg for the South Bank show for Give My Regards to Broad Street. Yeah. And I think one of the reasons I liked watching this section is I think he seems to recognise that this is a little bit more of a magazine-style interview. It's a bit more lightweight. So he isn't as cagey. I think he's a little bit cagey in the, in the Broad Street interviews. And I think this here, he does seem like he's surrounded by people that he feels comfortable with, enough to have a bit of a laugh. Yeah, um, yeah. And like so, you know, uh, he, he looks a little bit uncomfortable when Russell Harty are, is asking him what's his secret for looking so young, you know, exercise, <laughs> drink and all that stuff. And, it's, and I, I think Paul's a little bit a bit un- uncomfortable talking about that kind of thing just because it's, it is a bit of a personal question, especially when Russell Harty starts that with, I've never sat so close to you like this before. It's a bit <laughs> intimidating when he says that. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. But he does have a bit of a laugh. And actually, I really liked Harty says at one point to him, you know, you you seem to consistently have number ones when other artists struggle to do that. Like, what's your secret? Do you have a formula? Mm-hmm. Uh, and Paul just gives a really lovely answer to that question, which is that uh, he he doesn't. He just, you know, he, he does what he likes, but he thinks the differences or the important thing is that he just really enjoys it. He enjoys the whole process and yeah. enjoys coming to the studio and working on the songs and the tracks. And if he didn't have this as a job, it would be a hobby. And it just seems really honest and a, a nice way of looking at it. It's not really about, you know, a, a unlocking the secrets of success. But he, in his answer, he implies actually it's much more important for him to be enjoying the work that he does. And then that shines through, uh, you know, in the output. And that is part of what makes it a success, I think, in his eyes. Yeah, I think so. It, he He seems quite comfortable so he's still he's kind of in his domain here right you know so he's written this song and they're mixing it or they're pretending to mix it you know but like he's in in the in the studio where he knows what he's doing he's filmed broad street and he seems to have basically enjoyed that process i think he kind of did speak later about at a certain point in the filming of broad street he kind of thought to himself maybe i've bit off a bit more than i can chew here and actually being the guy who everyone relies on in this arena rather than the musical arena is is um maybe not where i want to be but crucially at this point when russell hart is talking to him he has not been stung by the public criticism uh, that he will get next year when give my regards to broad street is released uh, so at the moment, his recent track record is Tug of War and Pipes of Peace, both albums that were sort of well-received. You know, he's been working with, uh, in sort of close collaboration with credible sort of soul R&B artists in uh, Stevie Wonder and Michael Jackson. And the, and they produced good songs as well, you know. Uh, and, you know, sort of uh, Say, Say, Say in particular is a really good song. Like the, yeah, know, yeah. That's a, that's a real highlight of that album as well. And uh, Pipes of Peace, I think, is an excellent album as well. I really enjoy it. Um, but, yeah, so at, at the moment, he is in a position where he feels pretty comfortable. And so, yeah, I think probably it's next year when people start interviewing him and because they kind of have to do it in the context of, um, okay, this – this creative project you've just done, give my regards to Broad Street, has not worked out that well. What What do you think it is? You know, so is it, there's a yeah. there's a bit less of the sort of softball questions of a uh, oh you keep on having number ones and you're incredibly handsome. What's your secret? You know? <laughs> that is exactly that's exactly the point of that whole interview, isn't it? You're right, right. Why exactly. are you the best guy ever, Paul? <laughs> hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. 
$45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. So as well as Pipes of Peace, listeners of, of a certain vintage might remember in 1990, there was another song that is quite famous that was also inspired by the 1914 Christmas truce, which is uh, all together now by The Farm. Uh, the Farm are also a Liverpudlian band. I'm not part uh, of that vintage. I am not familiar with that song. No? Oh, God. No, we're, I'm really not, no. <laughs> we're, we're, we're quite a similar vintage, it's, uh, but okay. Well, no, no, there's a, <laughs> there's a widening gulf between us. That, but, that is the real no man's land here. <laughs> it does seem that way, doesn't it? <laughs> um, yeah. So the farm, uh, a Liverpudlian band, who sort of got going in the early '80s, I think, uh, and they first played this song on a John Peel session in 1983, so the same year that Pipes of Peace was made, and then it was eventually released in 1990. So it was a sort of, uh, sort of part of that uh, kind of like baggy scene uh, that was more sort of Mancunian than Liverpudlian, but around you know that time. Bands like the Stone Roses and the Happy Mondays and and so forth, yeah. So it, it it's a bit more uh, specific in that the lyrics are m- more literally about uh, the 1914 truce and, and make specific uh, mention of them. video that they did as well has uh, a lot of like older men of that generation sort of in pubs around Liverpool just sort of mouthing along to the words you know so there's um, they're they're very much like trying to call back to to the event itself it seems like yeah and and then that song was also uh later on uh covered by a a group um or a collective I suppose called the Peace Collective so this is for the anniversary 100th anniversary of the truce in 2014 Peace Collective um, it's sort of one of those multi-singer charity records and uh, featured some uh, lines sung by Julian Lennon as well. Julian Lennon was involved in that. Oh, wow. And one more kind of slightly tenuous connection, but I'm going with it, is uh, P- Peter Hooten from The Farm, who is the sort of main uh, main uh, writer of that song, I think. Uh, he's the main driving force as well behind The Justice Collective. And in 2012, they released a single. Again, it's one of those sort of multi-singer charity records to raise funds for various charities associated with the Hillsborough disaster, which was a disaster at um, a football ground in 1989, in which um, 97 uh, Liverpool fans eventually lost their lives. Um, and that was a cover of uh, He Ain't Heavy, He's My Brother, uh, featuring on lead guitar and a vocal line, Paul McCartney. It is all so, connected. Exactly. I've brought it I brought it back round. <laughs> wow. That is quite the collection of collectives as well in that uh series of facts. Yes, there's a lot of collectives in there, you're right. <laughs> I guess um and this is probably more to do with how I've grown up listening to McCartney's solo songs, but Pipes of Peace for me is one of those sort of nice songs that obviously has a powerful message behind it. But I guess I've grown up kind of unaware of its intent. You know, I, I guess the what we've been talking about here, you know, about Paul specifically trying to design a song to be used as a 
as a piece anthem. How effective do you think the song is in that respect? Because I, I kind of wonder if it's kind of lost its way a little bit over time. It doesn't have the same, you know, we've talked before about like Lennon and Lennon's piece songs having a particular sloganism that, mm. that sort of makes sure that those songs end up enduring. Uh, I'm not sure if this one cuts through as much uh, after this many decades on. Yeah, I think um, when you say you think it's lost its way over time, I think that's a really good way of describing it, actually. Because So I, I'm not sure that it was ever particularly uh, t- taken up as a piece anthem in the way that yeah. McCartney might have wanted it to do. Actually, a song that, that is not thought of very much but was written uh, to, to be anthemic after a specific event was the song Freedom that he wrote after 9-11 and performed at the concert for New York City, which I think was in 2002, which which is a kind of big sing-along uh, song about, uh, well, about freedom, as, as the title right, sure. implies. This is my right A right given by God To live a free life To live in But yeah, it's true that I suppose it's fair to say that if if Pipes of Peace had had more cut through, then he could have performed a song like Pipes of Peace at the concert for New York City after nine eleven, and it, and it for sort of gone down a storm. Do you know what I mean? Um, yeah, that's true. Yeah, but yeah, I, I don't I don't know if uh, I wonder if its message is perhaps dressed in slightly more sophisticated clothes than Give Peace a Chance is, you know, because that's a pretty good song to sort of do a direct comparison of the two, you know. And so maybe as sloganeering, it's kind of a bit less effective than Lennon's version because Give give Peace a Chance is much more of a sort of blunt instrument, you know. It's very, very informally recorded. It's just recorded in a hotel room and there's, you know, and and it's just a live recording and that's it. Uh, there's not a lot of kind of mixing's gone into it or anything like that, you know. So it's it's sort of more of a blunt instrument, if you like, but it's more memorable, I would say. You know, it's yeah, um, it is, yeah. It achieved more sort of cut through, if you like, uh, over the years, I would say. And then it's, it's interesting that I think that uh, the song that Paul has in his armory that I think probably does the job that you think Pipes of Peace is trying to do is probably Hey Jude. Yeah. Because the uh, the you know the universal sing along at the end of that song, whenever Paul performs that, that is the the sort of uniting moment in any of his gigs at any time that song is ever performed in any place. Yeah. Um, it, it has that sort of a unifying effect, doesn't it, within the audience? And that's that's kind of, I, I guess, I I feel like that's kind of what this song is getting at, but doesn't have the the right hook for it to get that traction. Yeah, very true. And actually, one of the remarkable things about Pipes of Peace as a song is how short it is. It's three minutes 56, I think. So because it bears all the signifiers of a big epic song, you know, it's sort of it's grand theme of togetherness and anti-war. It's got it's, there's a children's choir on it. It sort of starts off with a fade in with sort of instruments tuning in a way that's kind of supposed to sound like sort of bomb you know, rockets firing and things like that you know yeah and so y- you think if you'd never heard it before you'd be forgiven for thinking okay we'll strap yourself in this will be eight minutes or so um yeah <laughs> and um it's it's quite restrained actually in that way you know and, and it's a i'm not saying i think that's a, a bad decision on his part but actually i think if, it, if it's stuck on sort of two or three more choruses and you know got it out to sort of six minutes or so then maybe it would be thought of as more of a a, a big kind of sing-along peace anthem yeah an epic yeah i know what you mean that that there is something to be said for uh fleshing out a song for longer than, than it needs to be in order for it to take on a different sort of guise yeah yeah exactly you know it's um yeah it, i think it it speaks well of his judgment that he didn't it's very easy to make a song like that outstay its welcome perhaps you know yes um but but you know his instinct was to keep it to, to what it was you know particularly like as we said like you know we saw like him and George Martin at the mixing desk and how many tracks did they say there were 40, 45 or something like that 
Yeah. Yeah. And so it's got a lot of lot of stuff on it, you know, a lot of different yeah. tracks, a lot of musicians, like I say, a choir and things like that. And then it's then it's done with it, sort of, you know, just under four minutes. And great, I think all the better for it. But yeah, maybe it, it maybe it is not thought of in the same way. I mean, obviously, give piece a chance is a very short, is my even shorter song, right? You know, um, at the same time, in 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 more of the kind of songcraft environment of the eighties, if you like, you know, by this time people know how to do big sing along anthems, right? You know, this is the this is the decade of songs like uh like You're the Voice by John Farnham and things like that, you know, just sort of big, big numbers to be sung in stadiums, you know. Um yeah. and Paul isn't quite he hasn't quite started playing stadiums yet. He's not really gonna do that until what, eighty seven ish. Was it Flowers in the Dirt or maybe a bit before that? He was kind of, uh, whenever it was in the 80s, late 80s when he sort of went out and played the football stadium in Brazil and it was like a quarter of a million people or whatever it was. That's right, yeah. So he's not necessarily tailoring songs like this to a big sing-along stadium audience. Uh, and I suppose he also hasn't really played Hey Jude live. Uh, and so, so, Or at least if he has, he's certainly not performing it in the same way he does now. You know? Yes. Uh, it's yeah, like really stringing out. Yeah, and stringing out the sing along, you know, for a long time. Yeah, no, that makes sense. And, you know, it's it's um interesting as well us talking about comparing this song with you know, Lennon's songs that are you know trying to achieve a similar kind of message. Um, obviously, another key one um, that is also festive themed is "Happy Christmas War Is Over," hmm. and it's actually really interesting. You know, we're uh, talking about this now in the run-up to this Christmas period. Um, at the time of recording, it's just been announced, I think maybe two days ago, that Sean Lennon has had uh, and produced a uh, animated short to be used in accompaniment to that song as a music video. Uh, it's been It's had a short theatrical run, apparently, uh, the animation, which is by some of the minds behind some of the major Pixar movies. It's had a short theatrical run, but is and is currently looking for distribution, so it's not actually available anywhere yet. Uh, I can imagine it might be something that gets released next year. But funnily enough, the animation for that is also around the Christmas truce of nineteen fourteen. So there's there's actually a, an interesting sort of thing happening there where Paul is sort of with this song "Pipes of Peace" venturing into territory that has always been associated with John Lennon with all of his activism, and now we have a situation where one of Lennon's older peace songs is being given the same creative treatment uh, in retrospect. Yeah, I think because um, because it, it does feel a bit like I suppose like maybe when Paul does protest songs, if you like, or peace anthems, uh, it does feel a little bit like he's he's stepping on Lennon's toes, you know, which is, which is, which is unfair. Like, you know, they're both in the, they're both, you know, significant figures in the peace movement. If you like, you know, Paul McCartney, you know, it's, you know, it's not like he was sort of going on marches in the seventies and things, but in, uh, in the sixties, the Beatles were a, a symbol of peace and unity and togetherness. You know, they both, you know, they co-wrote all you need is love. You know, they both, both performed on that. Um, he he has every right to kind of venture into this, but yeah, it is. But the fact remains that when he tries to go into that territory, he does kind of tend to misjudge it a bit. So certainly, you know, give Ireland back to the Irish is a yeah. is is not a terribly well judged song, you know. Um, yeah. But you know, at the same time, like you know, L Lennon is doing that song "Luck of the Irish" as well, which is you know equally <laughs> equally misjudged, really. So yeah, you know. I think we kind of have this overall impression, I think, that you, even though you're right and uh, it is unfair to suggest that Paul doesn't usually or is, uh, is uncomfortable venturing into this kind of territory, I think we uh, overall have this impression that Paul is more interested in the music than the message mm. most of the time, whereas Lennon built up a, a reputation for being all about the message and his music was his vehicle for delivering that. Yes. Which is why I think it always, it, you always stand up and take notice a little bit when you see that Paul is trying to do something else with his music a bit more. And, and you know, unfairly you might think, is, is that the right thing for you to do? Should you stay in your box a little bit? Uh, completely unreasonable, obviously. But, um, but yeah, I think, I do think that, I, I think everyone is prone to pigeonholing both Paul and John. 
and it does mean that Paul finds it probably a little bit harder to um to do this kind of work with with his songs. Yes, that's true. Uh, so on the mention of uh, Happy Christmas, war is over. Happy Christmas and this episode is now over. Hopefully you've uh, enjoyed seeing this episode land in your you know streaming platform of choice on Christmas Day. Uh, and hopefully that's been a nice surprise for you as we you know uh, give you another episode to listen to between the uh, the no man's land that is Christmas and New Year's. If you've enjoyed listening to this episode or indeed any of our other episodes, uh, then we would really love it if you could leave us a five-star rating or a review. Uh, it really does help us get more words out and get more listeners to uh, our podcast episodes. If you haven't gone back and listened to uh, any of our previous episodes, you can go back into some of the uh, discussions that we've had on even films that we've mentioned now, such as Give My Regards to Broad Street, the documentary The US versus John Lennon covers some of the topics that we discussed today. We've also done an episode very recently on the Now and Then music video by Peter Jackson, uh, as well as obviously the major Beatles films such as Help, Magical Mystery Tour, Yellow Submarine, and many, many others. Otherwise, we will see you again very soon with the start of a new season in the new year. And until then, Merry Christmas and bye-bye. Bye-bye. Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus. Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.